listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you, Adam. Good morning, church. You can go ahead and have a seat. I've been working on my Johnny Cash impersonation all week, and uh, allergy season kicked in, and so I've got the water and the cough drops, and just in case, Clinton handed me a handheld, so, uh, but I don't have the corona, I promise. I've had it, partly vaccinated, so uh, we're good to go. Uh, my name's Mark, one of the leaders here, and this morning, we are going to be closing up our walk through the book of Ephesians. And for me, it has been a great study. I've loved our time in Ephesians. The next week, beginning for Mother's Day, so kids don't forget, next Sunday's Mother's Day, uh, for most of the summer, we're going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we'll be doing that uh, together. But this morning, Paul is going to end in a big, big way. In fact, Paul is going to take us today and give us this glimpse into this ongoing battle that he knows is real, even though he may not can always see it between the powers of darkness and the kingdom of light. What we're going to talk about today is the idea of spiritual warfare. And I was reminded this week that God actually knows what he's doing and he's always working behind the scenes when I don't even realize it. So studying this for several weeks, especially this week, and then getting to sit with Vincent and Samantha and their family, um, and then for several hours being together, walking through and praying together, I realized when you sit down with somebody, you will talk with them and you will notice, first of all, what's important to them. Then you'll also notice things that they experience and they know are real. And just to hear Vincent talk and to hear him pray, I've realized that He really believes much more in the idea of spiritual warfare than I do. And so I was reminded that this is so important and it is so real. Because when we become Christians, we don't step into this happy little playground. We actually are stepping into a war. And we may not hear bombs going off or bullets whizzing by our ears. But we live every day of our lives in a spiritual battle. And so I wonder, what are you thinking when you hear the word spiritual warfare? What, what are the things, the images that come into your mind? Because for me, most of the time, it was things like I would read in Luke where Jesus is casting out demons. Never seen that, never done it, but that's kind of what I would say that, well, that's spiritual warfare. But Paul is going to show us today that it is so much more than that. And so this morning, we're going to be looking through the last half of Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. But we need to remember when the idea of spiritual warfare, we must remain balanced. And you're going to see this throughout our time together in the scriptures. Things like this. With spiritual warfare, it is not this idea that because God is all-powerful, because he is all-knowing, we just let go and let God. That's not spiritual warfare. But it's also not me going and trying to do all these things that Paul is going to tell me that I need to be doing. At least not in my own strength. Not everything is spiritual warfare. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. 
That's not spiritual warfare. <clears throat> but the truth is, it is real and it exists. And so this is what I hope we see today. That we are called to fight. <clears throat> but we are not called to fight for victory. We're called to fight from it. So, <clears throat> I'm going to do my best to get through this. I've got my cough drops. We're good to go. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm going to read and then we'll pray. It says, children. No, wrong verse. That's verse 1. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication to all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opportunity, my mouth, opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak, so that you also may know that I am and what I am doing, that Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful member in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and the love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all who love our Lord, Jesus Christ, with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, this morning I'm thankful for the reminder of how important this message that you're going to bring to us is today. That it is something I have not thought enough about. And so I pray that you would do that for us. That you would lead us through these scriptures this morning, teaching us and guiding us. As Paul's last words to the, those believers in Ephesus. That this is what he wants them to remember as they continue to carry on the work that you planted there. And so Lord, for us, we're thankful for our time around your word of being together. May you be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, this is what I want us to notice. That I've called this today a warrior's strategy. We're going to get to, first of all, Paul wants to make sure in any battle you need to know the enemy. You need to know who you're up against. 
And then they would tell you the next thing you need to know is to make sure you know your gear inside and out and how it works. Then Paul is going to show us the energy to which we fight with. And then last, a final word of inspiration. So knowing the enemy, look at verse 10 again. He says, finally, his conclusion is to be strong. And this means not just stand up and be strong. It means to continue to be strengthened. That you're on this process and this is this ongoing thing. He wants you to be strong in the Lord and continue to be strengthened all along the way. And he says, in the strength of his might. That he wants believers to stand strong and he wants them to endure, to persevere to the very end. Because he knows this battle is real and the enemy is fierce And so he wants us to realize something, that we have everything that we need for this battle. Because look at verse 11. The command, put on, and what does it say? The whole armor of God. The first thing to notice is notice whose armor it is. This isn't ours. This isn't something of our making. This is God's armor that he has given to us and we must put it all on. We shouldn't just focus on one part and know it well that we need to put all of this on because left to ourselves, we would never survive this battle. And then he wants us to know the enemy. That you may be able to stand up against the schemes of the devil. So he's telling you, the devil here, he is the one that is the enemy. When I first think of the devil, I go back to my days with Bugs Bunny. In fact, there's a channel, I'm not sure which one it is. All of a sudden, they're showing the old cartoons I grew up with, Yosemite Sam. And you know that picture, it's one of them's faced with the decision, and this little devil pops up on their shoulder. Remember, he's got the little pointy ears, he's red, he's just got a pitchfork, and it's like this little pesky mosquito that's trying to get you to do the wrong thing. And all of a sudden, the good part of you pops up on the other side, usually with a halo, trying to convince you not to do that. I think the devil would be perfectly satisfied if that's the picture we have of him. Because with this, I think there's two errors. We can either think Satan is really not real, and that actually happens, or we can maybe not take him serious enough. But the other error is to be so fixated and, and fascinated on him too much. So this morning, I believe from Scripture, studying over the last few weeks, this. When you think of who the devil, who Satan is, it doesn't matter whether you're a young believer, you're uh, an old saint. It doesn't matter if you're well-trained. It doesn't matter if you're just beginning. It doesn't matter whether you're strong or you find yourself weak. No matter who you are, Satan is out for one thing. He has one goal, and that is our destruction. In fact, his hope is not just to cripple you. He wants to decimate us. And Paul is going to show us that. And even though their ultimate doom is absolutely certain, he wants to tear down as many as he can, or at least to do as much damage as he can. Because the truth is, if you're a believer, he can't get to your soul. But you know what? He can get to your family. And he can get to your marriage. He can get to your witness or your testimony. 
In fact, I've been doing a lot of reading this week with C.S. Lewis, especially through his screw tape letters. Thinking on the subject, this is what he says. He says, the enemy will not see you vanish into God's company without the effort to reclaim you. There is an enemy. He seeks my destruction, and this is war. So who is he? Well, the Bible teaches us in Ezekiel that he's an angelic creator, a creature of God, that God created him. You see him described and go by several names. He's called Satan. Usually he's the leader. You'll see him described as we do today, the devil, the name Lucifer. You'll see him called the adversary or enemy of God and even the accuser. And when he's described, these are the things that he can do. He's described in 1 Peter as a roaring lion seeking to devour. But he's good. In Genesis 3, I think he comes to Eve almost like a friend. She's not scared at all. He's called the tempter, a murderer, a liar, a serpent, even an angel of light that appears to be truth. And he is the God of this age. And he says there to be aware of his schemes. This means crafty, that Satan has got all kinds of ways. He doesn't always directly attack. And oftentimes he doesn't attack in the same way. In fact, I think he loves to attack when we first believe. Man, he wants to grab that believer from the very beginning. He can attack us when we're under affliction and going through difficult times. But he can also attack us when we're having great success. He would want nothing more than us to want more and more of that. He can come at us when we're idle. We're just trying to relax. He can come at us when we're too busy or we're overwhelmed. And he will either come after you when you're facing death. But also, here's another point of balance. Satan is absolutely powerful but it isn't this picture of a boxing ring where God's in one corner and Satan's in the other and they put up the charts and one's 511 and and one's six foot and one weighs 168 pounds and one weighs 172 and one's got a four inch longer reach that isn't at all what is happening Satan is not all powerful he isn't all knowing he isn't omniscient But even though he is not all of those, I do believe he is more powerful than you and me. The thing about him is that he can't do anything outside or apart from God's control or his permission. All you have to do is read Jude. But we need to remember the devil, he has no conscience. He has no compassion. He has no remorse. He has no morals. He feeds on pain and anguish and filth. In fact, we see the effects of this wickedness and violent crimes and devastating wars and religious deception and moral deterioration and political corruption. We see the effects in disharmony and selfishness and corruption in marriages and families and neighborhoods and even in the church. In fact, I don't think there is a way that we can fully understand the totality of his wickedness. So notice, though, that he's not even alone. Because he's not all-powerful, because he can't be everywhere. Look at what he does. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul, first of all, reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Now, I don't think he's meaning that it, it can't happen in that way, but he's wanting us to see that, first of all, Satan, he is not flesh and blood. Another thing I think Paul is trying to remind us of this is that people are not our enemy. What I mean by that is, yes, we struggle with people who abuse power. We struggle with people who do evil actions. We struggle with people who are harmful to others. And yes, people are responsible for their actions. We need people to be held accountable. But remember, the battle isn't against people. There's a greater evil behind all of that that happens. But with this also, I think Paul is reminding us that this is a supernatural battle. Because notice how he describes when there are several theories about what Paul is meaning here. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, forces, spiritual forces. So since it can't be everywhere, he uses his influence in a variety of ways. Whether these are different categories of the people or the angels that are serving under him or the demons. Or whether this is describing ways of rulers and power. The cosmic forces. What is interesting is notice where this battle is going on. It says, in the heavenly places. So he's talking about that we have to be aware that this is something going on in a place we can't see and feel and touch and hear. Because he wants us to see there is so much more going on than we even realize. And what Paul is doing is going all the way back to the beginning. Because look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 where we began. Paul paints a picture, and he says, Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, and notice where it is, in the heavenly places. In a place we can't see, feel, touch, or see yet, he says, you have been blessed in this. But there's a contrast. That isn't all that's going on. In the same place that we can't see, touch, or fully experience, he says there is a battle raging that is totally real. As Paul shows us, now what we have for the battle, he says this battle is real, the enemy is fierce, even though you may not always see it or realize it. But notice the gear we have. He says, therefore, take up, once again, the whole armor of God. It isn't ours. We're to use all of it that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I think he's meaning today, in the present age, and having done all, to stand firm. So he's about to show us six pieces of armor that we are to put on. But think about where Paul is. Sitting in Rome, chained to a guard. This is somebody he is seeing each and every day. And every time he is seeing this, he is now reminding, he's creating this word picture 
for all of those in Ephesus that would have known exactly what a soldier looked like. And look at verse 14, the very first piece of armor. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Well, the first thing to know is that this really isn't a piece of armor. It was the first thing they would use. They would strap on this belt, and it kind of held everything together. And they would use it to strap on a sword, but it was the first thing that you would put on. But he says the belt of truth. So the truth is what holds everything in place. The first thing you need to withstand the evils. But the first question we have to answer is what, what truth is he talking about? Well, one idea is that Paul is describing the truth about God. That is who he is, what he has done, and what he has promised. That that's the first piece of armor that we need. But Paul could also be meaning truthful living. Putting on truth. Living in truth with integrity and in faithfulness. You see, Satan, I think, wants us to believe all kinds of lies. The first place he's going to go is in your own head. Marla always refers to this as negative, I think, negative talk. Negative self-talk. We all do it. We all get in our heads, certain things happen, and we start playing these games. We start listening to ourselves. And if we are not careful, we will start believing those lies. And I have nothing to offer. No one will ever accept me. I am worthless. I have messed up so many times. And this negative talk, this negative self-talk gets into our minds. And he also wants us to believe lies about others. We've all been a part of that. And he wants us to believe lies about God. Because when a lie gets into our minds and it gets into our life, everything will begin to fall apart. And isn't it an exhausting battle of fighting that, that battle in our minds over all of the thoughts that we have? But I think he can also mean this idea of rightful, truthful living. Think of how much trouble we would save ourselves if we would just do what God asked us to do. So the first is the belt of truth. Look at the second piece. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So this was a piece of armor that you wore across your chest that protected your vital organs. But once again, Paul, what are you meaning by righteousness? And I think here he's also got a double meaning. The first thing is the righteousness of Christ that he imputes to people who believe in him, that he takes and gives you his righteousness. And where I see this most important is those times where Satan wants to bring up your past. He wants to bring up the things that you have done and the ways you have failed and the ways we have made a mess of things. He wants to bring up our past sins and failures. And that happens to all of us. But when that arrow flies into the righteousness of Christ, it falls to the ground. But Paul could also be meaning just with truth of righteous living, living rightly. If we would just simply do that, we would save ourselves a lot of shame and harm and heartbreak. But when we don't, when that arrow is flung across again at us, the only hope is the righteousness of Christ to deflect that. Now look at verse 15. It's kind of an interesting one. As shoes for your feet, 
So a soldier would have a certain pair of shoes they wore. They, they called them war boots. When you put this on, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Oftentimes when I've heard this, and I think it's right, it's a readiness of being able to share the gospel. Well, how would that be important? Well, if it's something that is meaningful to me and something I'm passionate about, it, something I'm beginning to realize, and the more I talk about it, the, the more I'm going to love it, the more I'm going to appreciate it. So that could absolutely be what Paul means. <coughs> but another idea could be this. When talking about readiness given by the gospel of peace, it could mean walking in the effects of what the gospel does. Of realizing every day what this does. And notice how he describes gospel. As he said, the gospel of peace. Remembering what I have. Remembering what you have through the gospel. That it brings us peace with God. Because we will not have peace with anyone else. Until we first of all have it with him. And he says these shoes. The gospel of peace. That is a tool. That is a gear. That is a weapon to use. Look at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Well, a soldier would typically have two, two shields. He'd have a small one for close hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat. And then he would have this bigger one around four or four and a half feet tall that you would then, if you've seen any of the movies like Gladiator or 300, where they would make a wall. All the soldiers would lock together with their shields all together to create this wall. But what is the shield of faith? It's confidence in God. It's belief that God can be trusted. So the picture is when Satan fires that flaming dart, there's always a promise that you can hold up. No matter what that dart might be, there's always a promise that can be held up and it says that it will extinguish all the flaming darts. Well, then in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Well, when you think about a helmet, you know, in fact, there's probably one way you want to get rid of all the concussions. Just take away all helmets in football. Because uh, then nobody's really going to use their head to hit. Because what a helmet does, it gives you a confidence. He says, put on, take the helmet of of salvation, when we think about and reflect upon the salvation that we have that Steve led us through the songs that we read, when we do that, it should be a confidence builder in who we are and who we belong to. And then one more piece of gear. Do you notice what's different about this one? What's it say? The sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you notice something different about that one? All the other pieces, all the other five, are all defensive. They're ways to protect. This is the only weapon, this is the only piece of gear that is actually an offensive tool. Because look at what he says, the, word of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this one right here is something I don't think we could ever Stress enough. To have God's eternal word. The things that he feels are most important for us to know about him. 
and who we are and how we can relate to him and how often we neglect it. And the truth is, if we are neglecting his word, we have no weapon to fight with. Because the truth about this weapon is this is so unlike the weapons that we have. We take any sword. You know what happens the more you use it? It's going to become dull. The swords that we have are used to inflict pain and cause wounds. But this sword, it is one that the more you use, the sharper it becomes. This is one that doesn't cause wounds, but it heals. It doesn't destroy life, it gives life. Well, then Paul shows us the energy that we're to put on this with. Look at verse 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. I mean, that should amaze us. Here is Paul chained to a guard in prison. He's still praying, God, use me, for which I have am an ambassador in the chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So you see that where the energy comes from in doing all this? He says it comes from prayer. I mean, that was so convicting this week. Man, to come Friday night and... I don't know, we had, I think, eight stations. We spent about five minutes on each one. And I thought, when's the last time I spent 40 minutes just praying, hearing the prayers of other people, and it was such an encouragement. Because Paul is telling us, here's what does. When we go and pray, the Holy Spirit tells us that we, tells us how to pray when we don't even know what to say, reveals things to us, helps us recall things, places people on our minds. And that's exactly what Paul is describing to them. That praying, it provides energy. It lifts the soul. It energizes. It's used to fight against things that depress and discourage us. So he said, you put on this armor, but the energy behind it all is prayer. But then the inspiration. So that you may also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and the love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Because you know what Paul realizes? That no warrior, no warrior ever stands alone. And I think Satan, one of his favorite weapons is to use isolation. That he knows that he can break people off from being involved and connected to the body of Christ. He has a much more advantage of gaining what he wants over them. In fact, I think there's all kinds of things that he uses. He can use our schedules where we get too busy. Or he can play those mind games. Gets us to believe lies about ourselves 
and others. And all of a sudden we don't realize and these walls are built up between us and other people. You know what I think he can also do? He can get us frustrated. He can get us frustrated with the faults of other people. But we just want, you know, I just want to give up. It's just not worth it anymore. But you know one thing you never see in the New Testament? You never see an isolated believer. You never see it. So this morning, I want to conclude this way. You know, you see four major battles in the Bible. The first battle, it doesn't take very long. You see the battle between Satan and God. And we know Satan loses. Doesn't take long. There's a battle between Satan and man. Or we would say Adam. And Satan wins. Then there's another battle between Satan and Christ. And Satan thinks he wins. But then he loses. But there's one more battle that is played out. And that is the battle between Satan and us. But the truth is, is that we are not alone. And Paul is showing us that we have a victorious warrior that is on our side and in us. So remember those six pieces of armor? Remember the first one? Notice this, it was a belt of truth. Well, guess how Jesus is described? Jesus is the truth. The breastplate of righteousness, it tells us over and over that Jesus is our righteousness. Shoes of peace, that Jesus, he tells us, is our peace. The shield of faith, that, that Christ's faithfulness makes our faith possible. The helmet of salvation, that Jesus is our salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, he says that Jesus is the Word. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we receive all that we need for the battle and the war that we're facing. And so I'm not for sure where you are. I mean, you might be going through a season right now where things are great. Maybe you've come out of a really battle-warring season. The caution would be don't get too comfortable. Maybe you're in one of those seasons right now and it just seems like the war keeps raging on and on and on. I want to say keep hope. Do not give up. You have everything that you need. Because remember, we are not fighting for victory. That has already been won. So we fight from victory. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.